Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Content Clearinghouse. I'm Josh Evans at... Wait, what? Okay, Brett appears to be using sign language. He says he is Brett Chisholm. And... Oh, wait. Something's happening. We have to keep our voices down, apparently. Okay, so today we talk about the Isle of Man motorcycle race and how crazy and dangerous it is. And then things get really scary when we discuss the movie quiet place Brett, no! you've duped us all movies shows and video games podcast books and their acclaims let their favorite content become yours it's the content clearing house content clearing house and it starts right now brett how are you Dude, I'm doing awesome. You know I have like a super boring life and everything. So uh, <laughs> I got to uh, tell you, yeah. Seeing you sitting in your airstream and knowing that you guys have like moved again, your like boring <laughs> life of leisure just chilling in the mountains seems very stressful to me. It seems like it takes way more planning than just living in a house. Well, actually, I I was being uh, mostly facetious, and actually, we aren't just chilling in the mountains. We've signed on to this amazing project. Uh, we've moved up to this town called Natarita. It's about an hour outside of Telluride, and we're kind of signed on to this project. It's called Camp V. It's an art camp. There's going to be multiple cabins that are being refinished right now, and uh, hopefully we'll be uh, able to take guests soon. But today we literally raised up this wind cathedral that has been featured at Burning Man. And it's going to be a permanent art installation here at Camp V. Whoa. So th- it's like a wind, uh, wind-powered wind organ. And dude, it's I can't even describe it. It's I was wild. getting like <laughs> some serious Burning Man vibes just you talking about the art camp. That, that's Definitely. really crazy that they have actual Burning Man art there. Yeah. Yeah, the artist, uh, I think he's been to like eight or nine consecutive Burning Mans. Uh, if I remember correctly, this would have been his 10th. That didn't happen due to a uh, big old case of the 2020s. But um, yeah, I'm really excited to see how it uh, how everything pans out here. And I'm super grateful that Bree and I are... It's like not only a place to live, it's a place to work and it's just an awesome team and just like an awesome, like just amazing scenery. But yeah, boring. I can't seem to like find a moment for a boring life. It it would be fun, I think. So what's new with you? (laughs) Uh, Well, I actually uh, recorded a guest spot on another podcast last night, which was really cool. A show that we've actually covered here. I've talked about it quite a lot. Have not seen this. Oh, and, uh, very nice. Yeah, I like pushed out one of their episodes during our Diversify series, and uh, yeah, I did a like an hour, hour and fifteen minute long interview about uh, the movie The Devil's Rejects last night, which is really awesome. <laughs> and that's uh, <laughs> that's like one of my favorite movies, and I'm not talking about it on this show because. I did it on that show, and that's going to be dropping in January. So I'll definitely link that when it comes out. That's awesome, man! You're it's you're like a podcast crossover star now, total star. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what I would say. That's awesome, man! I can't wait to listen. Yeah, it's going to be really cool. I was extremely excited, and I got to tell you, I was a little bit nervous talking to somebody else on the other end of this line than good old Brett Chisholm. It was different, man, and it was cool. Like it came off really smooth. I guess I hope hope it didn't sound like too much of an idiot. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Probably a severe lack of Brett juice on that show, though. There was like not even a drop. It was like <laughs> it was like being inside a mummy wrapping, totally devoid <laughs> of Brett juice. The Devil's Rejects. That is, uh, we were just talking about that recently. What's the director's name again? Uh, I want to say Rob Zombie, right? That's the one, man. Rob Zombie. Oh my gosh! House. Uh, the first uh, Rob Zombie movie I saw was House of a Thousand Corpse, and I just I I think I was a little too young. I think it kind of scarred me for that genre in general. Which, I, like, what would you call that? Like, uh, surreal horror. Well, I think kind of House of a Thousand Corpses yeah. 
it ended up being more surreal than he wanted it to be because he had all this interference from Universal and they made him change a lot, do a lot of rewrites. And he ended up doing a lot of reshoots too. And that's where all like the really weird, like color corrected footage. It looks like he was shot like in his basement because it was. So all these weird little vignettes in that film were kind of tacked in there to fill in the holes since there was a lot of stuff cut out by Universal. So the movie ended up being right. like really disjointed. I always thought House of a Thousand Corpses was like if you had three decent but short movies and you had to tie them all together, that's kind of like the feel I get from that film. And then Devil's Rejects is the follow-up, so it follows the same family. And uh, I don't know, I'm a huge fan of Rob Zombie and especially the House of a Thousand Corpses series, the Firefly trilogy. Nice. Well, uh, should we move on to the content circuit? What's uh, what well, why don't we do off top lately? first, like we normally do? Oh, I know okay. you've been out for a while, <laughs> but uh, don't worry, I'll keep track of the agenda. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the I thought the Rob Zombie uh, uh, chit chat was, was the off top. My, my apologies, yeah, I'm, I'm really out it. of practice. Sorry, listeners, it's gonna yep. be a short show today. That's it. Thanks for tuning in. Off top. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, actually, I do have a pretty awesome off top. Uh, Are you familiar with the Isle of Man TT, the motorcycle race that happens in in Britain, the British Isles? Uh, I don't think I am. Oh, man. If you've seen the footage, you would know it. Our good buddy Mike was always pawning this footage on off on us back in the day but uh so the isle of man tt or the tourist trophy they're these annual motorcycle races that they run uh it's on the isle of man which is an isle in the british or in the irish sea between ireland and britain and it's been going since 1907 uh it usually runs in may or june and the event is often called the most dangerous racing event in the world so the the first race was held in May 1907, and they called it the, the Tourist Trophy because initially, like tourists that were coming in off of the the boat, could just say, "I think I'll enter a motorcycle race today." So they had all these like just random people that were just visiting, entering this insane race, and the name, the Tourist Trophy, just kind of stuck. So initially, this race was it was ten laps around the island. It was a 15 mile race. But from uh, in 1911, they transferred it over to this much longer course. They call it the Snayfield Mountain Course. It's 37.40 miles long, or what they call it is 38 miles of hell. So they round up a little bit. I guess when you tack hell on the end, you got to make it a little more concise. But it's <laughs> it's it's essentially they're racing on these little tiny English roads set up for like. They're little tiny, weird English cars <laughs> <laughs> driving on the wrong side of the road. Come on. But they're, they're their doing, tea, eating they're their doing crumpets. over 200 miles an hour. And this is the footage when you see these guys that are like blowing through the middle, like these little cobblestone villages. And then there's no safety equipment. There's nothing lining the road. It's basically then blasting past like, brick walls spectators just inches away from them and they're you know they're doing i think the the fastest time clocked during the race is 207 miles an hour which is absolute ludicrous so so these are like sports bikes like hayabusa's you know not like cafe racers no these these are are like serious these are top of the line like moto gp racers in the world like william dunlop like who is actually he died in a motor motocross or a motorcycle accident, uh, I believe in 2018. But you know he was like the heir to the Dunlop fortune. He's professional motorcycle racer like MotoGP, and that you know this is like top of the line cream of the crop racers. Wow. So, but since its inception, 1907 to 2019, which is the most recent race, there've been 258 recorded fatalities at this race and they think that this so that's just racers but including bystanders which is a strange thing to tack onto this fatality list and unreported fatalities they believe the total might be closer to 270 or possibly even more 
Oh my gosh! How? What do you mean unreported? Like, do they not just keep track of all the people that get taken out in the crowds by, like, motorcycle wrecks? I mean, it could be you know from back earlier in you know the twentieth yeah, okay. century before they were keeping like really well documented records, but uh, you know it's I guess with this thing being the most dangerous race in the world, there's bound to be some things that slip through the cracks. Like there have been. Uh, there've been race officials that have been killed. There was an accident uh, where a motorcycle was going the wrong way on the course. They were told to turn around by the race officials because there was an accident and he hit an official vehicle that was coming, I guess, to inspect the accident, like a head on collision that killed him and, and the driver of the vehicle. But in, Sorry, this is really morbid. I've been totally obsessed with this lately. I just can't stop watching the footage. But there were six fatalities among competitors in 1970, making that the deadliest year in the history of the event. And what makes it so crazy, like I said, there's just no, there's no safety built in. Like in a a typical like MotoGP race, you know, they have the race course, and then the outside they have gravel, and then they have the the crash walls or like catch fences and like none of that exists here. They, all they do is they put up some saw horses to hold the spectators back. And then they're like, okay, you guys start off 10 second intervals. It's a time trial. So the racers start 10 seconds apart and they just start moving. And you can imagine like, since it's highly competitive, these guys do start bunching up after a while. So there's this insane footage of people just, flying down the track 200 miles an hour and on every turn it's just like they're trading position back and forth you know like one one rider's line is slightly faster than the other so they're con- continuously jockeying for position and you know from riding motorcycles how dangerous a uh, high ending your bike is which is where you start to like slide the tail out and then you end up going over the over the bike and flipping it and there's so much footage of this happening. Yeah, this, I think uh, it's I think it's when you or high siding. High siding, yeah. I think it's yeah. if you're you lose traction with your back tire, but then you regain traction, that's where the issue is. Cause I remember from when I got my motorcycle endorsement, if you lock up your back tire, which honestly like I feel like you'd you that you'd be it's it would be very difficult to lock up your back tire. Like I feel like you'd almost have to try to do it. But I definitely like probably over relied on using my front brakes. But um, you know they said if you lock up your back tire, just hold it, keep it locked, and take the bike down. You know, like it's safer to just slide on the ground than it is to uh, go end over end. Obviously, but uh, God, that is just wild. I can't imagine a sport so dangerous that just being a spectator, you're like participating in an action sport, just being there to watch. I was watching video of, I was looking for like, what does spectators say about attending Isle of Man? I didn't really find like any real breakdowns written out, but what I did find was all this footage, the crowd reaction footage of the bikes blowing past people. And I mean, I can see how a fatality happens because there's a, there's a video of this lady sticking her, her head out past the barrier, like to hold her <laughs> phone out. And the bikes blow past her, and you know she's like on the inside of a turn, like basically where they're apexing, and so they blow past. It's so close that it like pushes her back, it blows her hair up, and then she looks at the guy she's standing with. She's like, "Oh, that was so funny!" And the guy just has this like, "Oh my god, you just almost got decapitated, lady." Oh man, there are these videos of these guys sitting in the in near near these bushes, and as the bikes blow past them this pressure wave coming off of them and like it blows their hairs back it shakes the cameras out of their hand the bushes behind them look like they just got hit with a jet engine like the leaves are blowing off of it i got some really awesome video that i'll share but the really crazy stuff like what what got me interested in this what got me down going down the rabbit hole was like watching this crash footage which is absolutely insane i mean there's there's a crash video, which again, I'll share this is like a, like a compilation video, but it's a, a guy, he's by himself is shot from a helicopter and he's just 
cruising down the course. He's going around this big sweeping right-hand turn. And on the left side is just a a hill that just rolls off. And it, it looks like it eventually goes into a cliffside and then out into the ocean. And he, as he comes around the corner, his back tire slides out and he dumps the bike. And normally like in MotoGP or something, you know, like they're completely armored up. Like they have skid plates on every point of contact. So they can just lay down and slide. Well, he slides and he goes like off into the the shoulder of the road, hits the grass, and then he goes through a fence and just starts tumbling end over end. He just goes out of frame. The helicopter's like trying to follow him, but he's just like ragdolling. And it never tells you, like I couldn't find any history of what happened in this particular wreck, but you see this kind of thing. You're just like, there's no way a human body can take that. You know, you're not designed to take that kind of tumbling impact. Jeez, that sounds that sounds unbelievable. And if you hear that beeping right now, uh, that is because my brain is done getting shocked. <laughs> Keeping the dream alive, Brett. TDCS all the way. That's right. I actually have this great idea, speaking of uh, TDCS and uh, um, motorcycle racing. I want to invent this product that is like a action sports helmet, like a skydiving helmet or a motorcycle helmet that has a TDCS built into it. So, so if you you're out there while listening. You're, while you're <laughs> performing. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah. Get on that, TDCS manufacturers. So, so what do you think it is about watching this kind of footage that – I don't know that you find like you said you watched it like over and over. Like, what do you think it is about footage like that that just keeps you engaged in that sort of uh, grotesque content? Well, I really like human accomplishment and like what these guys are doing. It really is like riding the ragged edge of human potential. Like the fact that the the wheels on these bikes are touching the ground is almost like a technicality. There, there's footage of them coming over these hills and it, you know, normally you would just roll over it, but these guys are getting like 200 feet of air just down the hill while they're traveling 200 miles an hour, jumping these super bikes. And, you know, when they're not crashing, it's absolutely amazing that like humans are capable of this. And it's, you know, you and I, we love action sports, as I'm sure everybody listens to this show knows all about. But part of why I like those things is because they it's not necessarily the death defying that I'm into, but it's the you know, it's like performing in a realm where humans are not really supposed to be. You know, humans are not supposed to be in the sky. Humans are not supposed to be on a rocket shooting <laughs> two hundred miles an hour yeah. down the down the, the road, you know, <laughs> exactly. And there's, there are interviews with these guys, like asking them why they do it and it, is it worth it? And it's much the same what you hear in most action sports. You know, they, they like, they tap a lot of the same lines, like, you know, life is short, anything could kill you. But one thing that I saw that was really interesting was one guy said that death and danger are just concentrated on the Isle of Man. And that concentration makes you live in the now. And during the race season, They said they don't plan too far ahead. They pretty much live for the moment and make the most out of every day, which I can totally understand. You know, like that's the allure of things like this. But as I've gotten older, I've also realized that balance is extremely important. You know, the, the focus that you get when cheating death is extremely clarifying, but it's also addictive and alluring and it's kind of hard to step back from. That's why, you know, like a lot of base jumpers, you know, it's either you leave base jumping completely behind or you die base jumping is the way a lot of those stories end. So I think it's it's amazing watching these guys like in their prime, but it also gives me perspective, makes me glad that, you know, I've kind of like stepped back just a little bit and found a little bit more balance in the way that I approach those kind of activities in my own life now. Well, now you uh, now you can find balance on your one wheel. It's electronically balanced, so you don't even <laughs> oh, okay. have to look for it. <laughs> well, gosh, I'm so glad we uh, 
you know, we didn't have it my way and skip the off top, go straight to the content circuit because that is absolutely fascinating. I cannot wait to check out that footage. I'm sure we're going to be posting that up in the show notes. Um, also on our website, just in case you use a podcast app uh, or something like that and you want to check out the show notes, we include a lot of uh, links uh, to just the things we talk about, references, the content pieces. So cchpod.com if you want to check out our website. Uh, well, that's awesome, Josh. I It doesn't inspire me to want to go out and buy a high uh, a super bike. That's for sure. Not Yeah. I've had my time with a street bike. I mean, I had like a cruiser. It was, I, I really bought it as a reaction to you and uh, our friend Derek having bikes and going on these awesome motorcycle trips. I had to get down on some of that, but I'm kind of glad I've left it behind because it was, I really felt like I was like putting it on the line any time I would go ride. Yeah, I think it's safe to say, I mean, we talk about skydiving a lot, but honestly, I feel like you can mitigate the risks in skydiving uh, to a much more reasonable degree. I feel like the 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 sport has just, it, I mean, it's it's relatively extremely safe. Statistically speaking, it may seem risky. It's really not. The equipment, uh, you know, the, the training, riding motorcycles, I, I think even if you wear the right equipment, even if you have the right training, you know, a pothole or another uh, motorist. I mean, it's so just many more variables. So dangerous. Yeah. Plus you're I don't know, on I'd... the ground the whole time. That adds <laughs> a huge layer of danger. That is the most dangerous part of skydiving, the ground. If you didn't have to land on the ground, you could do it all day and <laughs> never have to worry about anything. I think I'm going to wait on uh, getting back into riding motorcycles until they figure out a way to engineer a TDCS inside the motorcycle helmet. Then I'm I'm 100%. Let's go, baby. Get on that TDCS manufacturers. <laughs> well, Brett, let me ask you a question since I know how much you love the uh, content circuit. <laughs> yeah. What's on your Are content we skipping circuit? It? Oh, okay. Nah, uh, we'll do it just for you. <laughs> Let's see. So I actually do have a, you know, I've been a little bit uh, dry uh, on the content circuit lately, but uh, not since I... lubricate <laughs> your circuit with some Brett juice. <laughs> with some, some content some content juice now content moisture Getting things lubricated so actually i got um i have two things that i've kind of put into the rotation lately that i wanted to talk about so have you seen this netflix documentary uh challenger the final flight yeah i watched all of it fantastic so i'm about i think we're about two episodes in um for those that don't know it's uh, the 1986 space shuttle disaster uh, it's just so well done. I mean, just like a lot of these Netflix documentaries that I talk about frequently on the show. I mean, it's just fantastic interviews, all kinds of figures that, you know, ha- had a part in this, all kinds of news footage, all about the social commentary of what was happening at the time. Of course, the Challenger mission had the first, um, civilian that was going to space, a teacher, so it's just I recommend it to anybody. I can't wait to finish it. It's oh, it's just top notch. The other thing in my content circuit is actually a podcast called Ten Percent Happier. This has been sort of on the fringes of my listening until just recently, and then I, I've just started to like binge. You know how it is when when a new podcast or a new TV show something gets its hooks in you. And I, I just like reached that point recently with 10% happier, but it's a ABC news anchor, uh, Dan Harris. He had kind of a, a breakdown, basically like a nervous, uh, reaction, a panic attack on air live on national television. Now he didn't really know what to do about this. And though, if I remember the story correctly, he had just interviewed somebody about mindfulness meditation just a few weeks before, and he decided to reach out to this person, and that kind of started his journey in mindfulness meditation. And so now he has an app called 10% Happier. He's got a podcast. He's written a book. And that name comes from what he feels like the returns are on his investment in time. So for his investment of mindfulness meditation, he gets about 10% um, 
you know, interest or, or like a 10% growth on his investment. And I mean, it, the guy is just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's very accessible and he's just a, such a like disarming, well-spoken, grounded, humble guy that just interviews these fantastic experts. So, you know, for anybody out there that just like wants to find something a little bit more like positive and helpful, but doesn't take itself too seriously, 10% happier. It, it is fantastic. And I, it's one of those shows that I'm going to be listening to on a very frequent basis. So back in the content circuit game, buddy. Nice. That sounds yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. You shared, uh, you shared an episode with me. I'm going to have to check it out. Yeah, with the the super or the mega monk is what they call him. Yeah. Have you seen? So, um, yeah. Have you seen Forged in Fire? Yeah, that's the uh, they make swords and axes and things, right? Yeah, I remember back in the day when we did our uh, reality show episode. You were asking me if there were any reality shows that I was into, and I wasn't really into many. But I just started watching this, and man, it is fascinating watching people like wrangle metal into these intricate designs i don't know at it it's it's strange because i can't really put my finger on why i find it so interesting to watch but it's cool to see like they're they're forced to like forge under a time limit and so like typically their first competition rounds they're kind of like sloppy and they're you know they're really forced to work under these conditions where you wouldn't think you'd be able to make a sword, you know, in three hours or whatever. And then, you know, like standard reality show, they eliminate people based on, you know, the the strength or weakness of their designs. But then they go back to their home forge for the final round. And the, uh, the host will present them with like, you have to create this cavalry sword and it has to have this, you know, this three pronged pommel and it has to have this certain amount of curve to the blade, all these specifics. And then when they come back from their home forge, they've all created like these really amazing, beautiful pieces. But then they put them through like kill tests. They have these ballistic dummies with the organs and bones and they'll use the swords and like, I'm going to do like a a gut slash and I'm going to stab through the heart and I'm going to (laughs) try to decapitate the, the dummy. And you know, sometimes it's just like, they just tear it to pieces. Other times like the swords bend in half. It's really awesome. Oh my gosh. It's really good. I haven't seen any of those episodes where the swords fail when they slap it against Jello. Yeah. It's on Netflix. Check it out. Yeah, Highly Forged recommend. By fire. Nice. All right. Well, what do you think? Should we take a quick break? Yeah, let's do it. Let's take a break and then we'll come back and we will get into some content. Welcome back to the Content Clearing House. Brett, what are you going to lay on us today? Yeah, I got a good one for you. I've actually been... um, I was pretty bummed that I feel like I missed Halloween because it's... Well, I didn't miss it. I mean, I, I was existing during Halloween, but this is when I was in Iowa absolutely cramming and working my butt off um, to get back in the cockpit, which we talked about on the last episode. Uh, You know, so there was like no costumes, no scary movies. um, But I just, I, I, I wanted to take some of the spookiness of Halloween into November and beyond. I mean, this is not a holiday themed piece of content but whoo it is uh frightening so awesome. before i get into it <laughs> yeah favorite I genre do wanna, oh yeah yeah well what's great about this is it's kind of your two favorite genres put together um Ooh. i do want to get the uh, spoiler alert going here so if you haven't seen uh this piece of content the title is obviously going to be on this show so just, I would say, turn so off the show. You're just keeping me in suspense, <laughs> is what you're saying. I'm just, that's all I'm doing. Yeah, because I want the listeners to go watch this if they haven't seen it. But for now, like with, you know, if you've seen this, I, because I want to spoil the shit out of this thing. I want to talk about this amazing piece of content openly. I want to discuss some of the themes in it. I want to discuss some of our favorite action scenes. Um, so, spoiler alert. That being said, Josh, you have a baby. Yeah, too. 
Now, have you ever considered stuffing that newborn baby into a soundproofed box? <laughs> well, I'm not going to say no, but for the sake of the podcast, I'm going to say no. <laughs> That's probably a good call. Well, you should count yourself lucky then because the protagonists in this story that I'm going to talk about, now they had to take their newborn baby and they had to stuff it into a padded box to prevent monstrous aliens from coming. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. You know what I'm talking about? I don't. Why is this not ringing a bell? What is it, Brett? Okay, so uh, the movie I'm talking about is A Quiet Place. Oh. This is a, this is a 2018 post-apocalyptic horror film that also shares the glorious honor of being included in our uh, collective favorite genre of sci-fi. Have you seen this? I've only seen. Oh my I've, god! I'm gonna I've spoil only seen it for you. Parts of the beginning and the end of it. I know. I know the ending, but okay. um, this is oh something god, that's on my watch this. list, and I might actually have oh. to watch it tonight after we talk about it. But since Brett's going to spoil this, everybody pause. <laughs> go watch Quiet Place and then come back. It's going to be that kind of show. Apparently, uh, should right, we Brett, can, should we cancel the podcast now that you haven't seen this movie? I was sure you would have seen this movie. Well, you wanted to cancel big, large swaths of it earlier. So, <laughs> okay. So, um, a little background on this film: Scott Beck and Brian Woods originally wrote the screenplay. Uh, these two guys grew up together in Iowa. Uh, where I just came from, of course. They had watched many silent films in college, and they used their experience of growing up in this kind of farmland environment, um, including a grain silo, which played like a really, it was considered very dangerous in their upbringing. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. But, you know, the, the, the sort of environment, these silent films kind of sparked the idea. Now, John Krasinski read this, a script initially and he had just had his second child with the beautiful actress Emily Blunt. Now Krasinski liked the idea of this kind of central concept of protecting your children. So he ended up becoming involved in the pro- project. He rewrote the script. He signed on to direct eventually when you know it, he ended up starring in it as well. Now his incredibly talented wife, Emily Blunt she did not want to be cast in the film originally, but as soon as she read the script, uh, I believe she was on a plane, she immediately told her husband, John, I need to do it, which I just, that just like speaks to the quality of the storytelling in A Quiet Place. I mean, it's just that kind of thing that just grips you. And by the way, the budget for this movie, it's only 17 million bucks, which is not bad for like a serious uh, critically uh, audience acclaimed hit. They it's have some a, awesome effects in this film too. So good. Very, very good. Um, now the story in this starts in the uh, saddest fucking way possible. There's a little boy named Bo. He gets clobbered by a monster in front of his entire family. Now we don't exactly know what's happening from the start, but through this expertly crafted background narrative, we later learn that it is the year 2020 and some sort of extraterrestrial species has either invaded or just somehow ended up on Earth. And these The only grot- thing that hasn't happened this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yet. Uh, now, these grotesque monsters, they're not just covered in, like, seriously strong armor. They're also hypersensitive uh, with hearing and they hunt using sound. Now, clearly, whatever planet they came from was a pretty rough place, and eyesight was just not an evolutionary advantage. So they're totally blind. But this does not slow them down. It does not stop them from being absolutely lethal to uh, pretty much everything that is louder than a whisper. So Bo's demise was caused by this little toy uh, space shuttle which his father, Lee, had taken away from him, but his older sister sneaked it back to Bo in an effort to just cheer him up. But uh, she hadn't seen him grab these batteries, which his father, Lee, had removed. And next thing you know, it's alien versus child, and the alien wins. So we later catch up with this family. We get 
a little bit more into the background and the family dynamic. Um, so you've got Lee and Evelyn. This is the dad and the mom. They're expertly played by John Krasinski. You know John from The Office. Were you a, were you a fan of The Office? 13 Hours. I know him from 13 uh, Hours. I didn't watch much <laughs> of The Office, but I do like John Krasinski. Yeah, he is excellent. And if you're younger than a millennial, I don't know what they're calling those folks these days, Gen Z Zoomers. Have you heard that term? God, yeah. Uh, <laughs> try to avoid hearing it. <laughs> so you might know John Krasinski from Some Good News. Did you Did you watch that when the pandemic hit on YouTube? It was great. I, I watched like he at like, least four or five episodes. Didn't he create the channel and then sell it off to like some he did. news agency or something? <laughs> he did. I think he got a lot of criticism for that. And uh, I, actually for this episode, I tried to figure out how much he sold Some Good News. Uh, and it was an undisclosed amount of money, but I'm sure it was a lot because it was like a, a secret bidding war. Um, all they post anyway, is yeah. pro Trump videos. Yeah. It's now another arm of, uh, uh, what's that news? I don't know. There's a, there's a new like ultra right wing. It's like, uh, OAN. OAN and news site or something is like the, now it's some good news with Trump. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's his new job. <laughs> that's yeah. So Evelyn is played by Emily Blunt. Now this is my wife and I's uh, favorite actress. I'm sure you uh, are also a fan of hers. She was in edge of tomorrow with Tom Cruise. Mm, Absolutely. So good. Excellent. That was, that was the first thing I saw her as like a action star. And Man, Sicario she's so good in this. Oh yeah, Sicario too. Excellent. So you've uh, you've also got these two not yet murdered kids, Regan and Marcus. <laughs> now these are some what very talented. Yeah, <laughs> they're still breathing. Now these are some super talented kid actors that are featured in this film. So Marcus is played by I think it's pronounced Noah Jupe. Uh, and Regan is played by the extremely talented Millicent Simmons. Now, Regan is a deaf character played by a real-life deaf actress, and this attribute plays a huge part in the story. Now, what really strikes me about this family is how they've managed to MacGyver their way into a sort of decent existence despite the hellscape that they're existing in. And if there's any type of person that can figure out some post-apocalyptic shit out to just to, to survive, to live. It is an engineer. And that is exactly what the bearded John Krasinski's character is. So, I mean, he's soundproofed the basement. He's trying to upgrade his deaf daughter's uh, cochlear implant. They've got trails of ash leading around their property to silence their footsteps. They have this like holiday light signaling system. I mean, it's, it's really kind of amazing. And w- like one of the reasons I Take want you to watch this too, movie. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's just it everything around. everything needs to be, you know, quiet and muffled. Uh, but they they still manage to have these like sort of family dinners and family conversations with American sign language and you know, they'll but like even when it seems like there's a moment of uh normalness They'll be like handing the, oh, here's the, you know, salt. And they drop it and everybody just like kind of holds still for a second. I mean, there's there's this, there's always tension. There's, you can never relax. And you just, even these ideas, and this is like the great storytelling in this film, even things that aren't pictured, your, your imagination, or at least for me watching this movie, it still goes to like, well, what if you like wake up having a nightmare in the middle of the night and you're moving around or, you know, there, it, there's just so much to explore in this universe and they just do such a good job with that world building. So not long after Lee and his son, um, have their first talk, which, you know, being in this silent world there, it seems like they're only communicating via sign language, but they go out fishing. Now Lee introduces this idea of hiding smaller sounds within this cloaking background of louder sounds. So they're near a stream and, you know, he starts to talk to his son for the first time 
and it and it's kind of like with this babbling brook in the background he he kind of you you're introduced to this concept of of that uh that hiding of sounds but pretty much as soon as that like nice father son moment happens the shit starts to hit the fan back of the house and because uh, you see evelyn is pregnant and not only does she step on a nail back at the house she starts going into labor and uh the kids also end up in a grain silo basically in just a few scenes after that and they start sinking into the corn now because of this movie i actually found out it's called grain entrapment and this is a real thing it's actually pretty common according to wikipedia well, uh, the death rate from workplace accidents on American farms has declined in the first decade of the 21st century, but grain entrapment deaths have actually not declined. They've reached an all-time annual high of 26 in 2010. Doesn't sound like a lot, uh, especially when compared to the backdrop of other things happening in 2020, but... The Isle of you know, Man if race. You're, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, if, you know, if you consider like 26 people in one year dying of sliding in the grain in a grain silo, and a lot of those victims have been minors, like that is a terrifying thought. So, you know, know that before you watch this movie, Josh, because I think that scene, I found it to be really uncomfortable, and now that I know that it's a real thing, and it's actually pretty realistic that that could happen, yikes. Um, I find, like, scenes yeah. of getting getting trapped in, like, claustrophobic spaces or, like, that, like, getting pulled under, some of that stuff is, like, so hard to watch. I found there was, like, a, a video about a, a caver that got, he was climbing down into, like, a a lava tube or something head first and he got stuck and it was a story about like them mounting the rescue and, and eventually they were unable to get him out and he ends up like suffocating and dying head first down in this, you know, hundred feet under the ground or whatever. It was the video just watching. It was like making me break out in cold sweats. It was so difficult to, um, just to like project myself into a scenario like that. So that sounds really scary, but something I like about, uh, post-apocalyptic fiction is like the scenarios like her stepping on the nail or like even going into labor like those are certainly medical emergencies but in our world those are things it's like you pick up the phone and you like solve that problem but with uh, post-apocalyptic fiction it really like brings to light like how important it is that you just don't make mistakes like you just don't step on nails you're it's more of like a, a long-term strategy of like planning out almost every move you make. And I could see how if you were living in this world, eventually like with a human being, like complacency would start to work its way in. And that's, you know, why things would happen. Like you would make a mistake, you would drop the salt or you would step on a nail or something. And that's, I don't know, that opens like a, a lot of really cool possibilities in post-apocalyptic fiction storytelling. Yeah, pretty much pretty much anybody in this universe is participating in an action sport against their will all the time and they have to be absolutely hyper focused like, you know, the TDCS beeping at the end of the 20 minute cycle, done. Dead. Like that's it. <laughs> you and I recording a podcast, done. <laughs> like <laughs> probably wouldn't I be mean, many really- of these shows around then. <laughs> I mean, it's no, it's exactly what you said too. And even if, you know, even if stepping on the nail doesn't ensure your demise, like now you have to rely on radical self-reliance to tend to the wound, um, you know, to continue to like care for yourself and, um, and, uh, you know, the other people, the children in your life, you know, with like hobbling around with, uh, yeah, having with injured, injured foot. Having an injury also makes like your, it like tests your discipline and your resolve and makes all of your future actions until it heals just like that much harder. Cause now you have to also think about, you know, like babying your injured foot or whatever. Well, speaking of babies, and once again, I can't believe you haven't seen this movie because <laughs> I'm boxing spo- it up. 
<laughs> I'm spoiling so much right now. But one of the absolute best scenes is uh, when uh, Evelyn, Emily Blunt, is giving birth and there's like monsters in the other room and she has signaled with the lights that she's in trouble so her husband knows what's going going on and um you know directs his son to go set off fireworks because once again we're going back to this concept of hiding awesome you know uh, a, a smaller relatively smaller sound and a bigger sound so they set off these fireworks as she's giving birth and she just lets out this like horrendous scream as the fireworks are going off. So you get do this it, Brett, like, do the scream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's Brett's birthing like you, scream. <laughs> so much Brett juice. My, my Brett juice water oh. just broke. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> so you, I don't know. You just like, there's these, this movie is almost completely silent. I mean, there's, there's no, Real dialogue, despite the uh, you know ASL, the American Sign Language. Which, by the way, this movie was so well thought out that in the sign language, and this was also not something I noticed on the first viewing or the second viewing, but in doing research for this, the sign language mimics the uh, types of communication that the each character would have. So, for example. The and they like all learned sign language from somebody that trained sign language that was actually deaf. They made a um, a, a strong point to cast an actual deaf actress in this role. They wanted it to be as realistic That's as really possible. Cool. But the mom Evelyn, her sign language is like a lot more emotional. She tries to make like it's more descriptive. She tries to make more of a connection and like she wants these kids not just to survive like she wants these kids to live whereas like this like battle-hardened bearded krasinski dad who's just the ultimate like fatherly badass in you know this universe his asl is like really short really pithy to the point like it's really serious it's all about survival it's all about like you do not you put that down no you know, and it, and so it's like less emotional. Um, so just so all these little through the sign language. Yeah, yeah. But That's then the really moments, cool. the moments that you do have. So Evelyn lets out her birthing scream. Uh, there's also a moment which I'm gonna I'm gonna. This is the one thing I'm not gonna spoil for you. But when Lee, when Krasinski lets out this, this like yell, it it like is so emotional and so terrifying. And it might be, honestly, it might be like the pinnacle of the movie. It might be the climax of the movie, but the fact that you've just been in silence for an hour, just, just really creates this. Derek's going to love this, this juxtaposition <laughs> Ooh, your favorite of word. sound. And it's just like this pinnacle, this peak of sound. So, you know, just the, just, it's so well thought out. And it just creates like such emotional moments uh, that are truly terrifying. So that's all I'm going to go into with the uh, the just the bonkers climax. That's all I'm going to say. It is uh, one last thing. It is the edge of your seat, pants shitting <laughs> shittingly terrifying. It is badass. Can't wait for you to watch it. It's so, pretty bold um, for them to do a movie <laughs> with. It seems like a movie like this is, it requires the evolution of cinema for, you know, cinema to go from silent films into the age of the talkie. And then <laughs> the, the uh, you know, just the soundscape and the creation of dialogue and all this that's gone into, you know, making films what they are today. And then it's like almost a, uh, almost like a deconstruction of, a film to create a movie with no dialogue and that plays mostly in silence. You know, that, that seems like very high filmmaking in my opinion. Yeah. So they, they actually, um, there was something I read about this too, during the filming, the crew avoided making noise so that they could record synchronized sounds and then they could amplify those sounds. So, I mean, this was, they actually were nominated for an Academy Award, I think in sound, Best sound. 
design, something like that. Really? Let me see if I can find it. Best sound editing. They didn't win, wow. but they were nominated for it. But I mean, it really, you know, it's just all, it's all the background to this that if it's done correctly, you don't really think about it unless you intentionally think about it later. But it just creates, like I said, for me, like it's it's one of the scariest movies i've ever seen and it's so good like it's just so emotional and it's all the little analytical engineering shit that they did in the background to create those moments for you um so i do want to get into some of the themes and uh one of the obvious themes in this movie is about being a parent so I was, I was hoping I was going to rely on you a little bit. Since I am not one, I am trying to adopt a puppy right now with my wife. I, so that's for a baby of sorts. <laughs> Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so John Krasinski just flat out, he identified this as a primary theme of the film. He, he called it a dramatization of, quote, fears associated with modern parenthood. Uh, As I mentioned before, he had just become a father, and he said in an interview that he was already in a state of terror about whether or not he was a good enough father. And so adding that the meaning of parenthood had been elevated for him by imagining being a father in a nightmare world, just struggling to simply keep his children alive, like that was really a, a big driving force for him. Um so parenthood, I mean, this movie, it really is all about like survival with kids and like bringing new life on the way. Um, at one point in the movie, Evelyn, the mom asks, who are we if we can't protect our children? And, you know, I can only imagine like what you're going through as a parent. And I don't, you know, this is one of those things I don't think about unless I intentionally think about I kind of, I just don't view the world through the through the eyes or the perspective of of somebody that's that's taking care of children. But when I watch a movie like this, I I can feel some of that like existential dread of, oh my gosh, you know, the most important thing in life is to protect this little one, and I just can't imagine what w- what it would be like uh, with these blind monsters hunting with sound running around. It'd be hard to keep kids quiet. I can tell you that much. <laughs> um, I know I, Isla likes to tell a lot of jokes. She's pretty funny. Yeah. I uh, my my whole perspective on the world definitely changed when I had kids. I mean, I think there's a little bit of sociopath in everyone that you just can't get rid of until you have kids because you just you know, there, there is now something that's more important than you in the world. And, you know, protecting a child from danger is something that it's, you don't really know how you're going to approach it until you have a kid. And even things as simple as like Isla, who's now four, like she likes to, you know, she plays with the kids in the neighborhood and I've like wrestled back and forth. Like, when am I going to be okay with saying, okay, you can go out the front door by yourself and go play with the kids and we're definitely not to that point yet, but what I've realized like watching her grow up is that those answers will eventually like reveal themselves like when the time is right. There's been a lot of questions I've asked like that, like when is she going to be okay for me to let her walk without holding her hand? And eventually like just through her own actions and through training, eventually you do like gain trust in the child's ability to handle like whatever you know, this very small task is that you're trying to bestow on them. And a big one right now really is like, you know, when she goes and plays, I'll go and sit on the front, the front porch and just watch her. But eventually there's going to be a time where it's like, okay, this is like playtime. You go, you know what to do. You know, we've been talking about this for years. And I imagine like in a story like this, it'd probably be something similar. You know, I imagine these kids in the story are eventually are are very astute at surviving in this world and you know they didn't start that way that i'm sure the daughter at the end her character would never have given the kid at the beginning 
the t- the batteries or the toy. You know, she never would have right, right. with who she developed into. She would know better. You know, she's been trained. It's the only reason she's still alive. And so that that kind of character growth throughout the film is exactly what I'm watching happening with my kids right now. It's really interesting. There's really nothing in my entire life that's been more interesting than watching these kids grow up. And it seems cheesy if you don't have kids, but it is so true. It's so fascinating watching a human mind develop right in front of your eyes. Well, the only thing that I think would make this movie more frightening is watching it being a parent. So I think you'll really get a kick out of this uh, when you when you finally do sit down to watch it. Uh, so some other themes that have surfaced, the Roman Catholic Bishop Robert Barron said he saw strikingly religious themes in the film. Yes. Yeah, oh, Catholics are your favorite bishops? Just yeah, <laughs> I like the general. ones in chess. <laughs> like your hats. I like chess bishops. Yeah. Uh, Angular so, moment. You like their... You like their hats. It's ridiculous. Um, So he likened the family's primitive agrarian life of silence to monasticism, and he commends their self-giving love. And he also suggested that there were pro-life themes, especially in the choices of the parents, as uh, the mom risks everything to give birth to the child. The husband, well, I don't want to spoil it, but... You know, Baron sees this movie as like the ultimate expression of uh, parental love. I don't think that this is at all what Krasinski was intending, but to kind of piggyback on that idea of people finding what they want to see, of course the bishop is going to see religious pro-life themes in a movie like this. Richard Brody, writing for The New Yorker, criticized A Quiet Place for what he perceived to be the inclusion of conservative and pro-gun themes in the film so he described it as the antithesis of get out and quote both apparently unconscious and conspicuously regressive and said that it brings to the fore the ideal idealistic elements of gun culture while dramatizing the tragic implications that inevitably shadow that idealism now, Krasinski did address this criticism in a subsequent interview, stating that he did not write the film with an intentional political message. Krasinski said, quote, I never saw it that way or ever thought of it until it was presented to me in that way. The film was about being, you know, silent. Uh, <laughs> and his whole metaphor was solely about parenthood. So I don't know. I just like wanted to share this because we live in really politically charged times. And I wh- whatever your opinion is on guns, like I'm not pro or anti pro gun. silencers. Um, <laughs> but I'll tell you, if I'm trying to survive in a post-apocalyptic uh, world, like I am pro to like whatever tools I need for survival. So like this 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 New Yorker critics argument is just ridiculous to me. Um, this but, you film know, didn't feature uh-huh. enough movie criticism. <laughs> But, you know, actually, I think that this is a sign of good artwork because artwork is supposed to make you think. And if it's just straightforward and it's like, this is, these these are the facts. This is what I want you to think about this film. Then, you know, it's going to come off as a little shallow. But if you can get people justifying their own worldviews or their own anti-worldviews through watching the film i think that's like a testament to the writing because that's what you want with art you want to be able to put it out into the world and then have people react to it form their own opinions and find their own messages in it and if it's if it doesn't have that then it really just comes off as like being kind of empty exactly and that's exactly why i brought up those you know those other kind of unintended themes even krasinski himself said you know, that's not what I was going for, but the best compliment you can get on any movie is that it starts a conversation. And the, the fact that people are leaving and talking about anything is really fun, but certainly about deep, deep stuff like that is awesome. And so I just wanted to bring it up. I'm curious, um, you know, if anybody else saw any like strong themes, because there, there is a lot happening in this movie. There, It's got the horror. It's got the sci-fi. It's got aliens. 
it has you know uh, American Sign Language and like um, restrictions to communication. Um, it has like an engineering element. Uh, so I'm you know, and I'm curious to hear what you. Uh, if you see any themes outside of what I talked about, I would love to hear them about, uh, or I'd love to hear about it on the next episode. But um, on the uh, re-release uh-huh. of the movie poster at the bottom, it says, "That's not really what I was going for, but thanks for buying a ticket, John Krasinski." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. So I, yeah, I mean, it, just like you said, I, I think this movie has a lot of space and it has a lot of silence, and you can project your own themes on it. Um, or you can see the themes that were intended, or you can watch this movie and just shit your pants in terror. So that brings me to the sequel, uh, A Quiet Place 2. Now, this might be a little bit of a controversial statement, but possibly one of the greatest tragedies to come out of 2020 is the delay in the release of A Quiet Place 2. <laughs> Bold stance, Brett. <laughs> <laughs> You just said there's a little sociopath in everybody, right? You need. That, it sounds like was you a... need to have a kid. <laughs> oh god, that's terrible. I'm I'm trying to laugh through the pain, people. So the sequel was once again written and directed by John Krasinski. Uh, stars Emily Blunt, uh, Millicent Simmons, and Noah Jupe are also in the sequel. With spoiler uh, alert. Uh, <laughs> Someone's name wasn't mentioned in the actor's credits. Oops. Uh, Jamon Honsu and Cillian Murphy are also going to be joining the cast. Now, I heard rumors about A Quiet Place 2, and then I heard that it was just like put on the back burner, postponed, and then I heard it was canceled. I don't know. A lot happened in 2020. Obviously, um, you know, I was tied up in all of it, the politics, the uh, pandemic. So I didn't, I wasn't staying up to date on the news with this movie until recently. Now, turns out this movie was actually made. I did not know this. I, I haven't seen a trailer until tonight. The trailers for A Quiet Place 2 look absolutely awesome. So the original was such a hit, they immediately started working on the sequel. It had its world premiere in New York City in March of 2020. So people have seen this goddamn movie that I want to see so bad. But of course, because of uh, because of COVID, the uh, Quiet Place 2 is now scheduled to be released in theaters on April 23rd, 2021. Oh, nice. So yeah, of course delayed content uh, clearly is not the worst thing to come out of 2020 and the Trump presidency. But whether you are glad or you're mad that Trump is leaving office, just remember if Trump was president in the universe that took place in a quiet place, he would not have lasted long. (laughs) He's too loud. (laughs) Silence your phone. We can hear you typing. (laughs) So personally, um, I am ready for some, peace and quiet in this universe. Um, now, before I go, my, lastly, I have to point out my absolute favorite thing about this movie. And I am curious to get your thoughts on this too. I think it is very difficult when it comes to a monster movie to decide as the creator, how you reveal your monster, how much you reveal when you reveal, if you reveal, I feel like, a Quiet Place is the first time in my life I have seen the perfect amount of hinting to it with without revealing anything, without showing you the monster and just leaving you questioning things. But they do not leave you high and dry like some movies. Like they do deliver the goods. And this is just one of the... This is like when you get a really good sci-fi movie... For me, with really good effects, what I do is I will pause on those certain scenes and I will go frame by frame and I will like take a good look at the monster because you, you've you seen it now in all its glory, but it's just like it's still an action sequence. You still don't get a good look. And I will just like Google it. I will find images of it. I will because it's, it's just well-designed. It I looks incredibly too. scary, but it has it has like... You know, it has like a hunter attribute of something that is very alien. It's a very alien concept. It's, you know, it's it evolved on a world where it didn't need eyesight. 
So, and, you know, specifically this monster, it its hearing plays such a pivotal role in it. So, um, I don't know. This... It's a little bit difficult to describe what I'm talking about, but I, I think you get the gist of it. Like there are monster movies where the reveal just is horrible because the thought of the monster is way scarier than the actual monster. Have you seen the Langoliers, the Stephen King <laughs> old school? <laughs> if you got to pull out world's shittiest movie monster, he definitely nailed it on the first try. Like it goes from being like, a pretty decent episode of Twilight Zone to just like the most hilarious, awful shit that, you know. I mean, a, a good example of this is uh, the monster from It, the new version. I uh, can't, the actor's name, uh, he's a Skarsgård. Is it? Alex? Aren't they all? Yeah, they're all Skarsgårds. So, I mean, that's a great example of like, I wasn't drawn to that movie except for the monster. And I loved that movie because of the monster. I mean, the actor was just so good. This is one of those movies. It's like Jaws and Alien. You know, they, Jaws are like held up as like the perfect way to do a monster. And they were limited by the technology of the time. You know, they're the limited amount of screen time the monsters got. Right. But that like set the tone of like, yeah, it's sometimes it's better to let the audience imagine the monster than to just show it. And that's the problem like with CGI these days, you know, like if you, if it's used sparingly, which is almost certainly what they are doing in a quiet place, then you can make really good use of CGI. But when it's like, Oh, we spent millions of dollars to create this thing. We got to have it on screen as much as possible. Then you start getting into like cheesy territory. Right. Exactly. Well, a Quiet Place pulls it off. Uh, you know, this is a movie that is exploring so many themes, so many ideas. But really, what it what it comes down to is the is the the monster. And gosh darn it, Krasinski, you did it again. Uh, first with some good news. Well, actually, that came after. But now <laughs> with the Quiet Place monster. Good job, you guys. I cannot wait to see a Quiet Place too. Put your baby so there you in have a box. It. <laughs> Put your babies in a box because I don't want to be hearing them crying when I'm at the movies. <laughs> I'm kidding. Very sociopathic of you, Brett. Yeah. Well, I, thanks, dude. Yep. That was awesome. I, uh, you know, you had some spoilers in there, but not enough that I don't want to go see the film now. You know, it's like we've talked in the past about having spoilers in the show, and we try to avoid completely spoiling things because we won't be able to watch it but you know sometimes having some of the themes discussed makes me want to go and consume content and this is something that's been on my my watch list for a while but i'll I'll probably end up watching it in bed tonight this is uh just hearing about it it's kind of like bumped it up to the top of my list now so i'm definitely have to go check this out and thanks for uh thanks for breaking it down man that was really awesome you got it, buddy. Yeah, definitely tune into this. It is not a background movie. This is one you want to be focused on because it'll it'll take you away to a scary place for sure. A nice, silent location. <laughs> well, thanks right. for listening, yeah. everybody. Uh, tune in next week. I'm sure Brett will be able to remember how the show works by then. He'll be all we'll dialed see. in. And... Uh, <laughs> also, check us out on social media, uh, Facebook and Instagram at the Content Clearinghouse. You can email us at contentclearinghouse at gmail.com. Check us out at cchpod.com to, uh, I don't know, if you like listening on your computer. It's kind of weird. Just check us out. Apple, Spotify, that's the best place. Rate, review. If you love the show, tell your friends. And thanks for listening, everybody.